I'm glad y'all are here. We have a, a some exciting things happening tonight, and uh, I'm excited for the series that we're going to start this week. Um, and I was asking some folks, hey, what do you think we should study for the next few weeks? And uh, so I was thinking about it. I, I asked Ross. I said, hey, I, it may be simple, but I think we're going to study Jesus for the next few weeks. And he laughed, and he said, yeah, he's my favorite person. <laughs> so like, I hope that's your thought of Jesus. If it's not, that's okay. Hopefully it is by the end of the series, though. We're going to be studying Jesus for the next few weeks. Specifically, at his, uh, he has some kind of curious statements. He says, I am. And then he fills in the blank. We're going to be looking at those different things. So there's, there's kind of a simple way we can kind of study history. We oversimplify it. In one aspect, there's God revealing truth to people. And people respond to that truth. Okay? Does that make sense? I'll give you two examples where I had truth revealed to me over the past month. And I didn't like it. But I had to respond to that truth. So about a month ago, I went in for my yearly physical. Doctor said, hey, your numbers are healthy. If you want to keep them there, you got to lose some weight. I get some some off the gut, right? And I said, Yeah, I know. He's like, Yeah, no, but you got to. Okay, I know. No. So for the past month, I've been going to the gym twice a week. Now, you, you think that's good, but wait till the rest. Um. <laughs> so I've been going to the gym, right? Uh, and like, I guess typical guy, I want to lift weights, right? Cardio, just can't. Just running, watching HDTV, I can't do it. Lift, you know. So I've, I've been doing, you know, bench press, right? Typical macho thing, right? And I've been doing a, a small amount of weight, trying to just get my form right. And finally, I got to the point, my body's like, hey, this, this is a little too much weight, right? The point of failure, right? That's what everybody's after when they're lifting. I'm on my last rep, last set, and like a foolish person, I don't have anyone spotting me, right? Right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and the revelation of truth happens. I have this weight coming down. It's going up. It's not far enough. So I have this weight hanging above my throat and face area. I like those things. I want to keep them good. Right? Revelation of truth. I can't keep the weight there. It starts to come down. Right? So thankfully... Not too bad, right? It hit me like right here. Oh, no. So like Friday morning, I was about to call Jay and be like, Jay, you got to cover for me. Like <laughs> I got this baseball thing on my lip. It's all swollen up and purple, but thankfully it wasn't that bad. Um, I am a little worried about the people at my gym though, right? Because like here I am, I'm rolling this thing down my body. <laughs> right? And everybody's just there like, oh, I got my set in. I'm like, help. <laughs> Nobody. So sometimes the revelation of truth is like that. There's that truth that's revealed. I need help. I am powerless in this situation. I need help. Sometimes there's good revelation of truth, right? Your boss calls you in and says, hey, give me a raise. Right? Sometimes there's that good revelation of truth. Right, as we as we study and prepare for the introduction to Jesus and these I am statements, we want to look back a little bit. We want to look back at God the Father working in the past. 
So if, if you have a Bible, even if it's ink and paper or a digital one, why don't you flip to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. All right, we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham, specifically the story where he is called to sacrifice his son. Right, if you've never heard this story, this is going to be fairly shocking for you. Even if you've heard this story, every time I hear it, it just makes me, what? So right, if, if you're unfamiliar with Abraham, right, Abraham was called by God to do what? Leave his country and go somewhere else. The Lord said, go. What did Abraham do? Went. He went. And so as he leaves, God continues to reveal truth to him. Abraham going to make you the father of a nation. This nation is going to be used to bless people. You're going to be people set apart for my purpose, to honor me. Right? There's just one problem. Abraham old. Right? He has no kids. He and his wife are old. They have no kids. How is he going to father a nation? He's old and doesn't have any kids. Well, God continues to reveal the truth, the promise. Abraham is going to give you a son. And that son will be the birth of this new nation. So if we fast forward 30 or so years from the promise, so now Abraham is with his son. Abraham's over 100 years old by most accounts. Isaac is maybe 15, right? Imagine your 15-year-old son with you, right? Abraham has this rich relationship with God of over 30 years. He's seen God work in mighty ways, filling promises. One day he hears from the Lord. I need you to give me back that boy. As a father, I, I, I still can't fully wrap my head around the story when I look at it by itself. I've got a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. Right? Any, the, the littlest thing happening to them, like, we've got to prevent that. We can't do that. Giving up a child, even for the sake of something good, it's like, no. I don't know what you're selling, but you can't have my kid, right? <laughs> no. Well, Abraham and Isaac are heading up the hill. Right? Isaac notices something. Dad, there's no animal for the sacrifice. Does anybody remember what Abraham says? The Lord will provide. <laughs> Abraham says the Lord will provide, and Isaac is good with it. They just keep walking up the mountain. So, long story short, Abraham has Isaac on the altar. He is ready to sacrifice his son, as God told him. It's still shocking. It's confusing. You have to remember, it's a test. It's a test. As Abraham is about to go through with this ordeal, God says, stop, stop. I don't want any harm to come to the boy. I just needed to know your heart if you, if you trusted me. If we're reading the Genesis account, we don't really get an idea of what's going on in Abraham's head. What's going on? But thankfully, Hebrews tells us. Hebrews eleven nineteen, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, 
of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Here it is. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Right? That's pretty amazing. Abraham said, God has called me to do this. I don't understand how he's going to do it. He may even bring my son back from the dead. But I will follow. I will trust. Right? And before that, Abraham said what? The Lord will provide. He obeys, trusting in that provision. Abraham's put in an impossible situation. Any parent hears this story and says, that's impossible. I don't know how I could do that. But the ordeal is over. Right? God has said, Abraham, don't harm the boy. Right? So Isaac is now off the altar. He's with his father. We're at Genesis 22, 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord provides. Jehovah Jireh. Right? The name of the Lord. So what is God revealing about himself in this situation? What truth is being revealed? Maybe you're coming up with your own thoughts right there, your own observations. Here are some that I had. God creates an impossible situation to showcase his power to provide an impossible solution. Right? These guys were used to being out in the wilderness. I think they would have heard the ram caught in the thicket, right? I don't know if that ram just kind of teleported in or God made it quiet. I don't... <laughs> Little things like that. I'm not just curious. But how did... Abraham was bringing a sacrifice to God. He was acting in obedience. Yet God provides a substitute. There is another that will take the place of Isaac. Isaac lives because something dies in its place. God introduces the impossible idea of a father giving up his son for the good of others. Right? When you put that in the context of Abraham, it doesn't make sense. When you put that in the context of God the Father and God the Son, it is our hope. It's the only thing we have. And it puts God's love in perspective. That he would give his only son. So we have this truth revealed about God. What is our response to that truth? If we look at Abraham's, it's tremendous faith and obedience. It's trust in God. I don't know how God's going to do it. He may have to raise the boy from the dead. But I'm going to follow and trust and obey. Abraham passes this impossible test. He believes God can work the impossible. So we have Abraham meeting with God, and the Lord provides. Jehovah Jireh. If 
You're asking yourself, I thought we were studying about Jesus. Why are we looking back? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. But now go ahead and flip a few pages over to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be looking at a little bit of the life of Moses. Right? And it's with Moses, the, God, the hand of God was on Moses' life from the very beginning. Right? Think about the situation Moses was born into. The Hebrew, the Hebrew people are slaves to the Egyptian empire. Not only are they slaves, but the Pharaoh has basically ordered a focused genocide. All the Hebrew boy babies, get rid of them. Right? And this is the environment that Moses is born into. You see God protecting him through this difficult situation. All right, we don't have to, we don't have time to go through all the details, right? This is this, the things we see in Sunday school. Moses is put in the basket of reeds. He's saved. He is born as a slave, and yet he is moved into the Egyptian court, right? So Moses grows up in the Egyptian court, and flash forward a few years, right? We see Moses is exiled, right? He makes a bad choice, right? He murders someone in hate. So now we keep flashing forward all the way. Moses is 80 or so at this time, right? He didn't grow up with his own people, so he's an outcast there. And now he is out, he's an outcast from Egypt, right? He's, he's been kind of excommunicated because of what he's done doesn't really fit in with anywhere. So what does he do? He goes and raises livestock. He's a shepherd. And one day, he's out walking with his sheep. And he, he sees something. Anybody remember what he sees? There's a, there's a bush on fire. Right? Now, if you're in the desert, it's hot, it's dry, it's arid. Maybe flash fires aren't that rare. I don't know. But what does he notice about the burning bush? It's not consumed, right? I've never seen that, right? I wish you could start a fire in the fireplace and not have to keep feeding it, right? <laughs> so Moses says, it's a moment that'll change his life. He says, let me go over and investigate. And he encounters the living God. He encounters the living God, and God reveals to Moses, I've heard the outcry of my people. I've seen the suffering that they're going through. And I have a solution. I have a plan to rescue them. I mean, you think Moses is saying, great, God's got a rescue plan, right? This is where it turns. Moses said, or God says to Moses, you're going to be my representative and go before Pharaoh and negotiate the release of my people. Right, Moses is tending sheep. He's not a diplomat. But this is God's plan. This is the truth that's being revealed to Moses. I can identify with Moses here. He has a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. A lot of doubts. So we're in Exodus 3, 13 and 15. 
Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses' head is spinning. He asks God, who, who do I tell them sent me? And God replies, I am who I am. Right? As we read that, that's another head scratcher, right? We've never that's that's like a that's like a mini sentence. That's not a name. Right? Remember our two questions. What is God revealing? What is the truth that He's revealing? And what is the human response to that truth? God is revealing things about his nature. He is self-existent. I am. Right? Some people have described it without getting too nerdy, right? Think about God existing before time. He either is or he isn't. I am. There's no past, present, or future. There simply is I am. He is self-existent. He is independent of anything else. You and I are dependent people. Everybody here has a mom and a dad, right? Nobody here just showed up, right? He also states that he is the same God of Abraham. What do we know about the God of Abraham? He is the God who provides. An impossible situation was given an impossible solution. Remember, the God who provides. This is the same God who is speaking to Moses. Right? You've got this impossible situation. The nation is enslaved. Right? There's an impossible situation. God can bring about that solution. But Moses goes back and forth with God. I find that amazing. In Exodus 4.1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Right? Remember, Moses is an outcast. He didn't grow up with his people. He grew up in the Egyptian court. He broke Egyptian law, so they kicked him out. He's an outsider. How are they going to believe him? Right? And if you read through the account, God does two miracles right there on the spot. He takes the staff and puts it on the ground. What does it do? It turns into a snake. And Moses has the correct response. He jumps away like it's a snake. Right? He runs away, and then God says, pick it up. Notice how God keeps asking people to do these most impossible things. What does Moses do? He picks up the snake, turns into a staff. And God says, hey, take your cloak, put your hand in your cloak. Moses pulls out his hand. It's covered in leprosy. Right? I don't think Moses' reaction to that is recorded. The one with the snake is. But can you imagine? And God says, hey, put your hand back in your cloak. He puts it in. He's healed. He's healed. God gives Moses a third sign. Hey, 
when you're before the Pharaoh, go get some water out of the Nile, pour it out, it will turn into blood. And some of these foreshadow the plagues that would happen later. So Moses, in the span of one morning, afternoon, I don't know, has gone from seeing this bush that's on fire, let me go investigate, to now he's encountering the living God. He's had two miraculous signs happen to him. Right? I don't know if I would be at a point of belief. Maybe you would be. But Moses was still like, hey, God, we've got to negotiate this mission you're going to send me on. Anybody remember what Moses says next? God, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue, right? God, I'm not good at talking with people. I'm not the guy to go negotiate with a pharaoh. I can't, I can't navigate all those political mores and all this stuff. What does the Lord say? I will put the words in your mouth. I will teach you what to say. Right? Moses is getting more and more pinned down by God, right? He's running out of excuses. <laughs> God is revealing this truth, and Moses is responding. The last thing Moses says, right? It almost sounds like a kid. Can't someone else go? It almost sounds like a kid, right? Can't someone else do this? Right? We see, we see a, an interesting response from God. It says, the anger of the Lord was kindled. And yet, the Lord says, what about your brother Aaron? He's an eloquent speaker. He can go with you. I will teach both of you what to say. So finally, Moses goes and sets out on his mission. All right, so earlier we looked at Abraham, right? The truth that's getting revealed, right? And how Abraham responded. How does Moses, there's truth that's revealed, right? What is the truth that's revealed? One of the most profound ones, the very nature of God. He is self-existent. He is timeless. I am who I am. That truth is revealed. We see God's great patience in dealing with Moses, right? We can identify with Moses. We have questions. We have concerns. We have anxieties. We have fears. And he meets with the living God. God sees the oppression of his people and sets, in plan, sets a plan in place to rescue them. God is working to free the Hebrew people so that they would be free to follow him. Not free for their own sake, but free to follow in the Lord. God would honor his covenant with his people. All right, so we already went through Moses' response to this truth, right? It was fear, anxiety, Excuses. If you put it kindly, it's delegation. Can't someone else do this? I feel like we're being a little mean to Moses, right? This is one of his lower points, right? Tremendous man of faith. So we have Abraham. We've just looked at Moses. We're going to look at a third one quickly. In the first one, we saw Jehovah Jireh, right? The Lord will provide. In this one, we have Jehovah, I am who I am. Now, quickly, we look at David. <laughs> so if you're still flipping along with me, 
Turn to Psalm 23. Right, a lot of us know about David's life, right? It's very publicized. It's amazing that so much of his life is recorded in Scripture. He had some of the highest highs anyone could experience and some of the lowest lows ever recorded, right? This is the young man who said, I'll fight the giant. Where is he? And this is the same man who would grow up to say, I'm going to stay back from the fight. Y'all go. I'm going to leisure in, my, in the castle. All right? And we know he fell from there. Right? So the highest highs and lowest lows. Do you remember one of the defining traits of David in the beginning? David is recorded to be a man after God's own heart. Still one of the most intriguing phrases in the Bible, a man after God's own heart. Right? Saul is the old king. God has said, hey, Saul, no more. I'm going to seek out a new king. Right? So God is talking with Samuel. All right, we're going to anoint a new king. And Samuel's thinking, okay, the king's got to look like this. Right? Got to be, you know, maybe 6'5", certain weight class. Almost sounds like the NFL draft, right? <laughs> got to be certain measurables. Got to look this way, talk this way, carry himself this way. Right? And 1 Samuel 16, 7 gives us an insight to how the Lord is speaking to Samuel to pick a new king. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. This is one of David's brothers. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So is the Lord concerned about outwardly behavior? Yes. We see great concern about the heart. Right? This almost sounds more like a parent's way of thinking, right? We certainly want our kids to grow up and do right. We're also passionately concerned about their heart. What are the tendings of their heart, right? The previous king, Saul, looked the part, but he didn't have the heart. David had the heart. Saul all too often would go his own way. He would not wait on the Lord. Right? There were times when he had to wait on Samuel to come to a sacrifice before the battle. Samuel was delayed. Right? What did Saul do? I'm in charge. I'll do the sacrifice. Samuel doesn't need to do this. Right? He wouldn't wait on the Lord. Saul would go his own way. The Lord was looking for someone who would follow. Follow like a sheep and a shepherd. So we look at Psalm 23, 1 through 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right? Can you imagine if we had a political climate where our leaders had this heart? They weren't going their own way. 
They said, The Lord is my shepherd, I will follow him. This was Israel's king. And following God wholeheartedly, David would lead a nation. So remember our two questions? What truth is being revealed? And then how are the responses to this truth? Right? What simple truth is God revealing? God looks at the heart, not on the outward appearance. He's looking for wholehearted followers. What is the human response? We see David follow a sheep and a shepherd. We see Saul not follow. All right, so maybe you're sitting here thinking, hey, I thought we were starting a new series on Jesus and his I am statements. Did I walk into the wrong class? <laughs> We've been talking about Old Testament, over all these different things. Has anybody ever walked into their own class? I, I did one semester, right? I got my schedule ready to go. I got confused. I had Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday classes, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. No, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? <laughs> this is why I went to the wrong class. <laughs> then I had a Tuesday, Thursday class. I went to the Tuesday, Thursday class on a Monday. It's supposed to be like statistics. Some guys talking history or something, so I had to sneak out and back. Well, you're not in the wrong class. Okay. See, we're taking a look back so we can look at Jesus. So we're going to end our discussion tonight in John chapter 8, towards the very end. In John eight fifty-three. Now before we read in John chapter 8, let's set the scene. This is a difficult passage. Jesus is having a heated discussion with the Jewish leaders, right? The Jewish leaders are of the position that, hey, we're descended from Abraham. That makes us disciples of God. We're following God. And Jesus is saying, that's not it. That's not enough. Being a descendant from Abraham is not enough to be a follower of God. And they're having this heated debate. So we get to John eight fifty three, And the Pharisees ask a question. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Right? There's that revelation of truth. God is revealing that truth. Jesus is revealing the truth that he is God. 
verse 59, we see the human response to that truth. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Right? They, they can't... What is Jesus doing? That's what they're thinking. How can this guy be God? He's only, what, 30? Right? Abraham was thousands of years ago. See, we have to wrestle with this truth about Jesus, this claim. Remember that God who provided for Abraham? Jesus is God. Remember that God that met Moses at the burning bush? Jesus says, I am who I am. Remember the God who led David, the sheep and shepherd? Jesus is saying, I am. I am the good shepherd. So in their eyes, Jesus has just committed blasphemy, right? They're ready to pick up stones and kill this blasphemous person, right? Again, one of these little details I would have loved to see. What does it say? Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Right? Jesus' hour had not yet come. It was not time for him to lay down his life. No one could take it from him. So we've been looking back at Jesus, right, and his claims that he is God. But I have to ask you tonight, what do you believe? What do you do with these claims? What is your response to the truth that Jesus is God? Jesus is one with Jehovah. We have God the Father, the Son, and Spirit. One essence, three persons. We tend to think of Jesus as a baby, especially at Christmas time, right? It's the baby in the little manger. Holy God, holy man. He is the good shepherd. He is working to free people from sin. Jesus came to bring us the gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. Yes, good news. But if there's good news, what does that mean? There's also bad news. You don't need to look far in this world to see the effects and consequences of sin. We live in a broken and fallen world. We are broken and fallen people. We have all done things we wish we could take back, said things, thought things we could take back. I know I've done things to hurt others. I've been hurt by others. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. It's not only our actions, though. It's in our hearts. It's in the core of our being. Matthew 5.21, Jesus is speaking. You have heard it said in the days of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you, anyone that is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fires of hell. It's not only our actions, it's our heart. Well, this bad news gets worse. There are consequences for this sin. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So here we see the worst part. Our sin has earned a wage. It's death. It's physical, spiritual separation from God. But the sentence doesn't end there. It says, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It has to be a gift. We can't earn it. Right? Think back to me on the bench press, right? I said I couldn't get that last rep up, and it fell. I needed someone. The analogy doesn't hold up, right? Because God first had to get me in the gym in the first place, right? So what, what, what does God do at this sacrifice, right? Is God loving? Certainly. Is he just? Certainly. What does God do? It seems like an impossible situation. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's a payment that has to be paid, right? We earned a bunch of consequences and judgment. And God said, I will pay that price. Think back to Abraham, remember? A father giving up a son? That sounds crazy. How could anyone be asked to do this? God the Father said, Okay, son, this is the plan. You will sacrifice in their place. You will die in their place. Those who believe will live. And Jesus died in our place. The story doesn't end there. There is a new life. For those who believe the old ways are to pass away, there is a new life to take the place of the old, one that seeks to follow God. 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is your response tonight? Trusting Jesus said, Jesus is who he said he is? That he is God? Are you trusting what he says about us? As good as we think we are, that we are broken, we are are fallen, we need someone? If you're at that spot where it's the first time you've ever heard it, you say, I want to trust and believe. 
There's nothing. There's nothing fancy to do, right? We're not going to ask you to come up here. And... It's believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. All I would ask if if you're there for the first time, just talk to someone. Talk to me or, or Dave or Jody, Ramsey, Ross. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the truth of who you are. Lord, I ask that that you would help us to believe and know who you are, that we would know your truth and we would believe it, Lord. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I just ask that you would watch over us as we go from here, that you would bless the food that we eat, you would keep each one safe as we go out. In Jesus' name, amen.